Is there life in the house today? We're grateful that you're here. And those of you joining us online in our online campus, we're thrilled you're here. Um, didn't Kenny Gamble and Lisa do a fantastic job of leading us in worship the last several weeks? Woo. Yes, we're, I'm so grateful for them. Such a talent they are together. And, and uh, they, they just pitched in to help during Emily's uh, maternity leave. And also Brittany did the first several weeks. And so we're thrilled with Brittany Coulter. Let's give her a big hand too. And uh, just, just thrilled. We're grateful, and uh, we're going to welcome Emily back next week to, to be leading the team, and we're thrilled for that. If you have your Bibles, and you should, turn with me to John's chapter, or John's gospel chapter 5. In a minute, we're going to read the first 17 verses of that. Let me just share with you briefly uh, what God's doing. As you know, we're, tonight is our healing rooms, our healing rooms, and they are from 4 p.m. to 5.30, right outside, in the, uh, right outside these doors in the uh, lobby of the church. And if you need healing, this is a time of, of kind of intense prayer. Uh, we can spend more than just a quick two or three minutes at the altar. We can spend five or so minutes even more praying and believing God, and our team is trained for that. And so if you need prayer, we want to open that up to you. And you say, well, Pastor Barry, it's just kind of weird. Well, let me just give you some testimonies of some healings that have happened through our healing room. How about that, all right? You got a few minutes to hear some great testimonies of God's healing. Hormonal imbalance that was healed and led to an eventual pregnancy. Supernatural conceptions after multiple miscarriages. Supernatural conception leading to IVF cancellation. Broken shoulder with proposed surgery canceled after healing room's visit. Divine intervention in court case divine deliverance from emotional trauma, divine healing of a food allergy, divine intervention in cancer scare diagnosis, healing of anxiety and depression, divine deliverance from hearing strange voices, and divine strength and healing in cancer treatment. Can you say amen? Those are, amen, those are, are just a few just a few of the miracles that God has done through our healing room ministry. Also, I received uh, an email this last week. I actually received a couple of them, emails from, from this family who, uh, so let me, I'm just going to read what they emailed me. Hello, pastor. Thought you would enjoy hearing about an amazing miracle God has done through your church. You are one of the reasons I still have my dad on this earth with me, and I give thanks for you guys often. I, I suppose it was back in 2016 when my husband and I were living outside of the country, and early one morning God awakened me and impressed upon my heart to search for the nearest healing ministry to my parents. I didn't know why at the time, but I searched the IAHR, that's the International Association of Healing Rooms website, and discovered Northland Healing Rooms held at your church. It wouldn't be long before I would find out just how kind God had been in leading us to find you. That summer, during my annual visit to my family in Kansas City, we received the kind of news that no family ever wants to hear. I was in the room with my parents as the doctor informed us about three cancerous spots on my dad's liver. In sum, there were two spots located in a place where they were unable to reach with surgery. And the course of action suggested uh, that we would put him on the liver transplant list. I remember how grim the outlook was and how hopeless the report seemed to be as the doctor and his team left the room. The three of us sat there stunned. However, we remembered the Northland healing rooms. On Sunday evening before my dad's next MRI, we visited Pastor Michael Abawaji and the team Everyone had a wonderful experience in which, uh, which in and of itself was a blessing. Then a couple of days later, my dad had his next MRI, and at the end of the week, we received the phone call that we still celebrate today. The nurse called and informed my parents that two of the spots had inexplicably disappeared. <laughs> Pray. 
praise Jesus, she writes. And these are the, were the two spots that they were not going to be able to reach with surgery. Therefore, with these now gone, my dad no longer needed a transplant, and they asked him what he wanted to do about the third spot. Well, filled with faith, he replied that it was probably dead too, but he asked if they would just remove it so that he no longer had to deal with it. And this is what they did, and he has been going to his three-month checkups ever since and is still cancer-free. To God be all the glory, and we thank you, Tiffany Fellowship Church and Northland Healing Rooms. Thank you for believing this, for preaching this, and for being there for the Holy Spirit to work through. For the body of Christ and for the families of North Kansas City, we are forever grateful. And we give glory to God for that. Amen. Amen. Well, by now, you know that we are in a series called By His Wounds. Last Sunday, we left this auditorium or the internet campus inspired by the truth of the resurrection of Jesus to rise up in hope and healing. And because he rose literally and physically from the dead, there remains no authentic reason for a child of God to be hopeless and powerless. We rise because Christ arose. Let me say that again. Because he rose literally and physically from the dead, there remains no authentic reason for a child of God to be hopeless and powerless. We rise because Christ arose. And today I'd like to continue the study of divine healing by looking at a sort of iconic healing narrative from John's Gospel. I'm calling this biblical story the healing of the lame man. The healing of the lame man. Now I have referred to this story a couple of times during this series But I want to take a deep dive into it this morning because I think it reveals a lot about Jesus and his desire to heal. Now, I'm hoping that we can all in this room, and certainly I have in the course of studying for this message, see myself in this man and learn some valuable lessons from his story. And I want to challenge you this morning, try, because the first half of this message, which I decided in the 9 o'clock service would be the only half of the message I preached this morning. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to come back next week for the second half of it, because I can't rush it. I just, I felt like I was rushing it too much, so I'm going to kind of just, I called an audible this morning, I'm going to cut it in half. We're going to look at this man first, and next week we're going to look at Jesus, Okay. But I want you for this first part of this message to try to find yourself, allow the Holy Spirit to put you in this story. Where do you relate to this man in this story? And so let me remind you of the purpose of this series, which is to activate and increase your faith in God for divine healing. And I don't think, honestly, I don't think we have fully mined the depths of this topic. There is more that God wants to show us from his word about divine healing. Say that again. I believe there's more in God's word that he wants to show us about divine healing. So I'm not going to leave this message series till I feel like God releases me. Can you say amen to that? Uh, so uh, let's stand if we could. By now, you've, you've made it to John's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. This is the story of the lame man, the lame man. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders 
said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. (laughs) But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up pick it up and walk. And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. This is God's word. Can you say amen? Let's pray. Father, bless. Though the first half of this message today, may it fall on soil that is noble. May it fall on soil that takes it in and nourishes it and that it may take root deep inside of us and change us from the inside out. Give us um, inspire, inspiration from your word and more importantly, instructions for how we should live your life in accordance and obedience to your word. And I thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, so be it. Amen. You may be seated. Today's message is titled, Lessons from a (laughs) Layman. Lessons from a Layman, part one. (laughs) Lessons from a Layman, part one. Now, the narrative that we just read from John chapter five is interesting on many levels. I want to look closely at some nuances that may not be obvious at first. I want you to look at this story fresh. And let's take a look at some some things that may have escaped us in all the readings that we had up to this point of this story. So let's take a quick look at the text in context, okay? The text in context. Let's look at the Gospel of John, and by understanding the context, we can better and more reliably interpret the Word of God and apply it to our lives. So let's just go ahead and look at several things about the context. I'll say this quickly. First of all, I want to refer to the stated purpose of John's Gospel, We don't have to guess at what this is. We don't have to do any kind of analytical study. The fact is John tells us very clearly and explicitly in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, what the purpose is for him to write this gospel. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay, so it's clear why John wrote this book. The Gospel of John was written to encourage belief, to encourage belief. Secondly, John's Gospel was written last. We know this historically. We know this from internal and external evidence that John's Gospel was written last, around probably around 92 A.D., was written not to disagree with the synoptics, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but to augment them. Now this is very important, friends, very important, because 90% of the Gospel of John is not found in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. 90% of it, that's a lot. It's like a very, very unique book. That's why the synoptics are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John is like off by itself, you know? It's just like, whoa, this is... You know, 90% of what's in the Gospel of John is not found in any of the other Gospels. There's just enough in there to let you know John was an eyewitness. He was hanging with these other guys. He was party with what's going on. But, man, there's a lot of stuff in here not found in the other Gospels. Now, let me say that liberals and progressive theologians, liberal and progressive theologians, for that reason, they believe that John's Gospel does not belong in the Bible, can't trust it. Can't rely on it. Most of, most of what John wrote in here is not even found or referred to in the other Gospels. By the way, the story that we read is part of our text for this week and next week. Not found in the other Gospels. Unique to the Gospel of John. So they say, hey, because John disagrees with the other Gospels, it doesn't belong there. But the fact is, 
is that the Gospel of John, it, it's not that it doesn't agree, it's, it actually supplements it it actually fills in some gaps. John wrote the book because as an old man living in Ephesus, he's like, hey, love the gospel of Matthew. Love the gospel of Mark, you know, which is, is Peter's gospel. Love Luke, but there's a lot of stories that were left out of those. And his disciples, John's disciples were no, no doubt saying, hey, you gotta write, you gotta write your story because you got a lot of stories, eyewitness stories that they didn't relate in there. And so that's why it was written not to disagree, but actually to compliment and to, um, to agree with and augment them. The third thing I need you to know about the context of this scripture, and hear me out, someone might argue with me on this point, I don't care, I'll die on this hill. The Bible does not teach that an angel troubled the water. Despite what you may hear on the internet, and despite what you may hear from other misinformed and false teachers, there was not some sort of a mystic angel that came down and troubled the waters. Okay? That, that didn't happen. Can, and can I just confess to you that I, I hear people do that all the God, we just ask that you trouble the waters this morning. And, you know, I've, I've even probably said that a time or two in, in prayer. Trouble the waters like you did in John. But the fact is that that didn't happen, which brings me to an important point, friends. And listen to me. I'm going to put it on the screen. Write this down. This is important. What the Bible reports, it doesn't always teach. This is so important. What the Bible says happened doesn't mean that the Bible advocates it or teaches it or says it's okay. For instance, let me give you some illustrations. The Bible reports that many men had multiple wives in the Bible, David had a bunch of them. Solomon had so many wives. You know, like, I don't know, what, 700 and 300 concubines? And I'm thinking, Solomon, I can't keep the one I have happy. How are you going to keep 700? Teasing, honey. Just a joke. But just because the Bible reports that David had many wives and Solomon had many wives doesn't mean that it teaches that that's okay to do that. It's important to understand. And also, the Bible reports that the institution of slavery was prevalent in Bible times. But that doesn't mean the Bible teaches slavery. In fact, the Bible teaches against slavery. Just because it reports on it doesn't mean it advocates it. And the final thing I want to say about this context, and we've got to remember that, it can be dangerous to arrive at absolute theological conclusions from narrative or stories in the Bible. Right? We need to understand that. It can be dangerous to arrive at absolute theological conclusions from narratives or stories from the Bible. It's not impossible, but it's very dangerous. Why? Because traditionally stories tend to illustrate theology not necessarily teach theology. Let me give you an illustration of that. How many recall when you're reading the scripture where at one time when Jesus healed a blind man, he reached down in the mud, picked up some dirt and spit on it, right? And he put it in the guy's eye and he smeared it around and, he, and the guy was healed. How many of you recall that story from scripture how Jesus healed a guy that way? Now, if we, if we think that stories from scripture teach theology, then we should start a new church, a new denomination called the Mud-in-Your-Eye Assemblies of God churches. Well, Jesus did that. One time he healed a guy that way, so that's the formula. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. The Bible is, is, is trying to teach us through these many diversified ways in which Jesus brought healing to people that God can heal you anyway. He doesn't, there's no one set formula for healing. And no, I do not feel led to put mud in your eyes. So anyone that comes forward to this altar today, we're not going to put mud in your eye. We may put a touch of oil on your forehead in agreement with the scripture symbolizing the Holy Spirit, but not going to put mud in your eye. So listen, can be dangerous to arrive at absolute theological conclusions from narratives or stories from the Bible. So, so today, rather than present absolute theological principles, let me make some important observations. Today and next week, I'm going to make some important observations from which we can learn lessons while not making absolute theological, uh, you know, um, 
absolutes, okay? Uh, so here's my proposal real quick this morning. Rather than present these absolute theological principles, let me give you some important observations. We can learn about God and specifically divine healing from this story of the lame man in the Gospel of John, okay? We can learn about God and specifically about divine healing from observing the story of the lame man. Not absolute principles, but there are things and lessons we can learn by observing this story. Are you ready? Let me give you part one, which is what we're going to discuss today for the next 20 minutes or so. We're going to address part one, and then I invite you back. Don't miss next week. Don't miss next week. Whenever I have to do this, and I called an audible in the, in the 9 o'clock service, I hate finishing a sermon not, not talking about Jesus. I really do. And while we're going to be sort of talking about him indirectly, I want this first part, we're going to talk, make some observations about the lame man, and I want you to relate to him. And next week, we're going to talk about Jesus, okay? We're going to make some observations about Jesus. Really, these go together. So uh, someone said to me after the nine, well, I'm not going to be there next Sunday, but I'll be watching online. Okay, okay, okay. So, all right. So here we go. Let's start this morning. I want to look at, first of all, the first section, observing the lame man. Observing the lame man. Let's, let's learn some lessons by observing this lame man from our scripture text. And I just want to give you four of them, and we'll be done for the day. Number one, the first observation we can make from this particular story is that he, the lame man, accommodated his sickness. He accommodated his sickness. Look what verse 6 says. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, 38 years specifically, he asked him, do you want to be healed? Now let me ask you a question. Why would Jesus ask that question? I think if we look and we let the scripture speak to us, we can see something in, we can make an observation in this text. Why would you, do you want to be well? I mean, I mean, right? I mean, think about it. Well, I've been laying here for 38 years. What do you think? I mean, Jesus, the divine son of God, he's omniscient, right? And he walks up to the guy and says, yeah, you've been laying here for a long time. Do you really want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? How'd you like to be healed? It sounds like an Oh, duh, kind of question. By the way, um, he asked the same thing of Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. I'm not going to read it this morning. Go there and study it. Mark chapter 10, similar story. He's walking down the road to Jericho, and he runs into these blind men, and one of them is Bartimaeus. And in Mark chapter 10, Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is coming, can't see it, but he hears it, and so he starts screaming, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples and people are like, shh, you got to be quiet. You can't sit there by the side of the road screaming. Now listen. The people rebuke him, and he screams louder. <laughs> Finally, Jesus asks him, again, it's another one of these questions. What do you want me to do? <laughs> right? Hey, Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do? <laughs> A hint. Right. But Bartimaeus does something that the lame man doesn't. Hear me. Bartimaeus goes, I want to see. I want to see. What do you want me to do? I want to see. Look in the story of the lame man. Jesus says, do you want to be well? The guy never says he does. He doesn't go, of course, yeah. No, he doesn't say that. Which makes this story all the more interesting, I think. Here's, what I, here's a couple of things I want to say before moving to the second observation. First of all, sometimes people aren't healed because they really don't want to be healed. <laughs> Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Could there have been something deeper in Jesus' question that is not readily visible? You, 
Because the scripture says when Jesus heard how long he had been sick, he said, do you want to be healed? There's a lot of people go, oh, instance, how, oh, that's so rude. That's politically incorrect. What are you asking a blind guy if he wants to be, or a, a, lame, a lame man if he wants to be healed? See, when Jesus healed Bartimaeus, he lost his income. The scripture says on the way to Jericho, there's this blind man, Bartimaeus, and he was begging for, for alms. That's, that's how he made his living. That was his income. People came and they gave him alms. But the invalid man, the lame man by the pool of Bethesda, it, it, I imagine he got a lot of attention and sympathy laying there day after day after day the, the, and, and probably used that excuse over and over again, no one helps me, I'm so, you know. And the merciful and self-righteous alms givers and Pharisees and Sadducees probably frequented that place often and they wanted to feel good about themselves so they, they gave alms to this lame guy. The man was probably the beneficiary of a lot of attention. Think about that for a second. He probably got a lot of attention. Listen, some people, I'm not saying who, I have no specific person in mind, but some people accept and learn to live with their sickness. They, they know no other way. Their disease, their sickness, their handicap it has defined them. They've gotten used to it. They really don't know or they can't even perceive any other way. It's just this is the way it is with me. Can I make a confession to you? <laughs> this is where I personally relate to this lame guy. This is where I see myself in this story. You know, I, I've got gout. Many of you know I've suffered, I've suffered with gout in the past a lot. Some of you sometimes will see me limping around the church. You'll say, oh, Pastor Claire, are you suffering with gout? You know, it's just something. I, I have high levels of uric acid in my blood. I don't know why. My body doesn't process uric acid correctly, so I'm just constantly, constantly struggling with this. And you know what? I've just kind of learned to accommodate it. And let me ask, let me tell you, can, can I confess something else? I don't even really pray to be healed from gout anymore. Sometimes people will see me, I might be limping a little bit, and they'll say, oh, pastor, can I pray for you? You're going to think I'm horrible. In the back of my mind, I'll go, it's not going to work. And I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 sure, come on, come on, pray for me, you know? If I've ever done that to you, I apologize. I repent. And they lay hands and they pray for me. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I've had gout for almost as long as that guy was laying by the pool of Bethesda. It's just something that I've learned to live with. I don't eat shrimp. And I love shrimp. I'd like to be healed from gout for no other purpose than I can eat shrimp again. I tested it one time. I didn't eat shrimp for uh, several months and didn't get any attack of gout. And then on Father's Day, I thought, let me try this out. I had shrimp. Ooh. The next two weeks was horrible with gout. So don't eat shrimp. Right? I don't know. Some of you might know. The last couple of weeks, I've been suffering with a left knee pain. Horrific pain. Bad pain. It's funny. I was, I was getting in shape, you know, going to the gym and doing squats, and one day I did 65 squats, a personal best. The next day I woke up, I couldn't walk. <laughs> I stepped out of bed and kind of fell against the wall. Ah! That was like three weeks ago. I was sitting in front of, I was sitting in front of my therapist a couple weeks ago, and he's like, saw you limp in today. Gout? I go, no. It's my left knee. Well, what's the matter with it? I don't know. Yeah. I did personal best in Squats, the next day I woke up, I had 
pain in this knee. He said, well, have you been to the doctor? I said, no, I'm not going to the doctor. Why? Why? Because every time I go to the doctor, they give me bad news. One time I went to the doctor, seven surgeries on my kidneys later. I'm not going to the doctor. And he's like, I can't help you if you're not, I can't help you with medical conditions. Perhaps you should go to the doctor. So this last week I went to the doctor. I sat in the orthopedist office and he said to me, he said, so Barry, why are you here? I said, because my therapist made me come. <laughs> he said, physical therapist? I said, no, I don't want to talk about it. They did x-rays, twisted my leg around. Does it hurt when we do this? Ah, yeah. <laughs> Does it hurt when we do this? No. After they examined me, did these high contrast x-rays, he said to me, here's what we think you have. He said, we don't think you have an outward injury. It's got to be inside. And we think it's just a small little torn meniscus. And he said, we don't think it's a, because I said, I was doing squats. He goes, we don't. We don't really think it was a result of that because that would have been on the outside. This is inside. This is more of a something that's just wore out. It's just worn through that meniscus there and it just tore a little bit and there's some inflammation. We can see that inflammation in there. And I said, well, what are we going to do about it? And he goes, well, this is just something that you just have now. And I'm like, what? Yeah, this is what you have. You know, you're 61 years old. Things wear out. Things start to hurt. You just kind of have this now. And I'm like, oh, I don't want this now. I reject this now. And he's like, well, well, let's do some physical therapy. Six weeks of that. Let me prescribe you this anti-inflammatory. Go get this, this topical ointment to put on it. And after six weeks, if you're, if you're still feeling pain, we'll do an MRI, maybe some surgery. And I'm like, I don't want surgery either. You see, every time I come to you guys, you want to cut me open. But he looked at me and he said, you just, you just kind of have this now. Accept it. Get used to it. This is where I am in the story. So this morning after the night, I said, I, I, I'm going to go back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start believing God again for my healing. I, this guy, 38 years. I mean, 38 years. I'm not going to have this for 38 years. I'm going to believe, start believing God and trusting God and hoping for my healing. I don't care how long I've had it. I'm done accommodating this. Live with it. You just have that now. What? That's where I am in this story. I'm not going to stop believing for my healing, and neither should you. Neither should you. Does that mean we live in denial? And if we can't walk, we don't, you, you just, no. We, you know, we don't live in denial, but we don't accommodate it and give in to it either, like this guy did. And when Jesus asked him, do you even want to get well? He didn't even say, yeah, yeah. Which brings me to my next point. Number two, my next observation about this lame guy is that he wasted his faith in superstition. He wasted his faith in superstition. Look at verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Some of the, some of the earlier translations take their translation from some of the early, uh, latest manuscripts. And they include a verse in there which the latest manuscripts cut right out. How many of you noticed in yours... A verse is missing. It goes from verse 3 to verse 5. What happened to verse 4? Well, that was, that was added later. And the earliest manuscripts are the most reliable manuscripts. And so what happened was people are like, well, we don't really understand what went on here that this guy said no one will help me in the water when it gets troubled. So we got to tell them what's going on about the angel trouble in the water. Well, let me tell you what this guy was dealing with. There was a superstition associated with the pool of Bethesda. The pool was a spring-fed pool, and whenever the spring pushed water into the pool, it would stir up the water, right? Bubbles and, you know, waves would happen, and 
people started to believe that what had happened was that an angel was stirring the water and the first guy in the water, the first gal in the water got healed. But it was complete and total superstition. This guy was banking his whole healing on nothing more than myth, pure superstition, folklore. It was simply an urban legend. And he invested all of his faith in that. Now, how many times have I heard this type of thing, even from Christians? I cannot even tell you. Let me give you some things I've heard from Christians. My astrological stars are aligned for my healing. My psychic says something good is going to happen to me this week. How about this one I've heard? I wear this crystal on my neck because it's supposed to heal me. Can I tell you, when I first arrived in Kansas City 15 years ago, someone referred me to a chiropractor. He practiced right over there. Hang on. Right over there. And um, in fact, he's, he's no longer living today. But I walked into the chiropractor's office, into his office, and he was wearing a gi. Do you know what a gi is? It's like a karate uniform. And he had a black belt around him. And I thought, ooh, I'm in the wrong spot. <laughs> I didn't come for karate lessons, I came for an adjustment. He said, yeah, he said, you're at the right place. <laughs> and I thought, no, I don't think that I am. True, the true story, I'm not exaggerating in the least bit. And he started to pop my back, and when he did, he would yell out karate-like language, like, yeah! And I'm like, what? <laughs> did you feel that? Yeah, I felt that, and I heard it. He says, you know what you need, Barry? He says, you need, we need to align your inner chi. And I said, no, I need my back popped. That's really all I need, really. So if you could forget the chi. I don't even know what a chi is. Is that some sort of tea? I don't like tea. I'm a coffee guy. No, we need to get your inner chi lined up. Can I just tell you? <laughs> I went back to that guy. That's how bad my back hurt. I went back to that guy, and I said right away, okay, Mr. Black Belt, just pop my back. Don't give me any of your mystical mumbo-jumbo, my inner chi. Just pop my back. Listen, I'm not talking about real medicine or even herbal rem remedies, okay? I'm not talking about that. Don't come up to me and say, Pastor Barry, you don't believe in herbal. No, I'm not talking about herbal remedies. I'm talking about wasting your faith in superstition, Palm reading, tea leaves, tarot cards, crystal balls, astrology, seances, conjuring and witchcraft, Ouija boards, voodoo and psychics. It's all superstition and you're wasting your faith. The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, the Bible says, put away those things. Put away those things. I've heard, I've heard well-meaning Christians go, yeah, but we, shouldn't we try everything? Maybe God, God will use the, the, you know, no. Put your faith in God. Listen to me. Stop putting your trust in good thoughts. Stop calling on the universe to send you good vibes. Stop can I just tell you, the universe is dead. It, it's dead. It's dead. The God who created the universe, that's the living God. Karma, good or bad karma, it's nonsense. That's like the law that Jesus came to supersede. You don't need more good karma. You need the great I am. That's what you need. You're not under the law of karma. You're under grace. So stop wasting your faith on superstition. Just stop it. This guy, oh, the angel's going to trouble the water. Can't imagine Jesus. Now let me tell you how good Jesus is. He heals the guy anyway. Notice he didn't say, oh, let me help you in the water. He didn't say, next time it happens, I'll be here to help you in first. You know, Jesus just healed him. 
said, take up your bed. Getting ahead of myself, we're going to talk about Jesus next week. So that's the second observation. He wasted his faith in superstition. Stop wasting our faith in superstition. Number three, he played the blame game. He played the blame game. We've already seen in verse 5 that the man blamed the lack of people to help him into the water is why he was not healed. Do you want to be healed? He doesn't say, yeah, I want to be healed, but I can't get in the water fast enough. No, he doesn't even say that. He just says, I can't get in the water fast enough. No. Now look at verse 11. This is, this is really weird. When confronted by the Jewish leaders for carrying his mat on the Sabbath, he blames Jesus. <laughs> verse 11 of John chapter 5, but he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. You can, you can almost hear it in his voice. The guy who healed me told me to take up my bed and walk. <laughs> then later, we read the story, gee, he throws Jesus under the bus again by calling him by name. He goes back to the Jewish leaders because they're like, who told you to do that? And he's like, um, didn't get his, didn't get his name. <laughs> Can I just pause right here? Can I just pause right here and say, 38 years? You're laying on a rug by a pool, 38 years you're lame, and a guy comes along and heals you, and you don't even bother to get his name? Can I just tell you? This guy was lame, and this guy was lame. You know, there's lame, and there's lame. That guy was lame. So Jesus comes back and sees him in the temple and is like, oh, I see you've healed, yeah. And then he tells him, give up your sin or worse things will happen to you. And then the guy apparently got Jesus' name because as soon as Jesus leaves, instead of going, oh, by the way, thank you, he's like, all right, see you later. He goes back to Jews and goes, I got his name, it's Jesus, he's the guy. <laughs> wow. The guy never accepts responsibility for his condition. It's everyone else's fault that he's sick and Jesus' fault that he violated the Sabbath, right? That guy told me to take up my bed and walk. I believe this is one of the reasons he got himself into the mess, the 38-year mess that he was into. This guy was lame. This guy was <laughs> lame. This guy doesn't accept responsibility. Let me say one thing before I move on to the fourth observation Blame for sickness and faith for healing cannot coexist. Let me just be clear on this. It's one thing to say, I believe, help my unbelief. It's another thing to continually bl play the blame game and have faith for healing at the same time. Now, I'm so glad and so grateful, and we're going to talk about this next week, that Jesus heals the guy anyway. Why? Because he's full of grace. He's full of grace. But when asked if he wants healing, this lame man blames someone else for his lack of healing. Listen, we've got to stop blaming God for sickness and death and disaster. It's not his fault. He gave us dominion over the earth and lets the rain fall on the just and the unjust. You can't have faith and play the blame game at the same time. Number four. The fourth observation I make from this text is that he continu his continuing sin threatened his healing. His continuing sin threatened his healing. Look at verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, let me be clear. Hear me out. Hear me well. Not every sickness is a result of sin. Let me say it again. Not every sickness is a result of sin. But in many cases, Jesus heals sickness and forgives sin at the same time. You read that in the gospel. Jesus many times heals sickness and forgives sin at the same time. In this case, the warning is clear. Stop sinning. It threatens your healing. See, there are worse things in the world than 38 years of lameness. 
Now, there are many reasons why sickness comes on us. Sin is only one. But we need to examine ourselves. Paul tells the Corinthian church that because they're taking communion in an unworthy manner, not discerning the blood and body of the Lord, not discerning their own self, they have, many of them are sick and some of them are dead ahead of time. 1 Corinthians 11. Why? Because they need to examine themselves. Let me say this. Holiness doesn't buy our healing any more than good works buys our salvation. But sin often does threaten our salvation. Holiness doesn't buy salvation. You can't earn salvation. But salvation can be threatened by our sin. So let me recap quickly. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close this service. We're going to finish next week. Let me recap quickly. This guy apparently didn't really want to be healed. He accommodated his sickness. He wasted his faith on superstition. He played the blame game, and he wanted his sin more than his healing. (laughs) Can anyone disagree with me that this guy was lame? (laughs) I mean, how lame is that? Let me tell you something, friends. I see myself in this story, and it's lame, and I repent. Where do you see yourself in this story? Which one of these observations best fits you? Is it that you don't really want to be healed, that you've accommodated the sickness, you've just learned to live with it, you no longer have the faith to be healed? Are you wasting your faith in superstition? Are you playing the blame game? Do you want your sin more than your healing? We need to learn some lessons from this lame man and understand Jesus heals lame men and women. Among whom I feel the lamest. And I repent. You know, early on in my struggle with depression, many of you know this. Some of you asked me not to talk about it, but I'm going to just say something briefly about it. Early on in my depression, I read an article that said that statistically, if you start referring to depression as my depression, you'll be less likely to get over it and get healed from it, get mentally through the struggle when you refer to it as, and I did that. I was like, well, my depression this way, my depression that way. And God convicted me through that secular article and started started saying to me, stop owning your depression. Stop owning it. You own it and it's gonna be yours and you're not gonna get rid of it because why? It's mine, I own it. Repudiate it. Uh, don't be in denial. Don't call the lying symptom. That's just foolishness. So I started going, the depression that has attacked me, I'm going to get through this in Jesus' name. I'm going to do whatever I have to do, consult doctors, therapists, whatever. And to this day, let me tell you something, I'm gloriously free. Do I struggle with it? Every once in a while I struggle with it, but it is no longer my depression. And now I'm saying the same thing about gout. It's not my gout. It's not my bad knee. It's what I'm struggling with, and I'm going to believe God for my healing. I'm I'm not going to accommodate this. I'm not putting up with this. I'm saying no. 38 years is a long time to have something, right? Jesus healed him. I wish I could could take a poll this morning and say, how many lame people are in this room today? Because my hand would go up first. I'm lame. I'm lame. Lame. But Jesus heals lame people. Can you say amen? Stand with me. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come. We're going to conclude the service. When we came to this part, the 9 o'clock service, we had many people, like more than normal, come forward for prayer. And I want to say something to everyone in this room today. If you've been accommodating some sort of sickness, if you've been living with it, you've just decided, I no longer have faith for my healing. I want you to kind of, I want you to <laughs> believe God, trust God. Brother Corley, will you come over here with you? 50 years of Assembly God ministry. You've got some prayer left in you, don't you? (laughs) 
got some other elders coming. If you need prayer, we're gonna, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this song, and I'm gonna, we're going to dismiss. And I want, I want you to come. If you have sickness, we're going to lay hands on you. The Bible says in James 5.14, if anybody's sick, let them call for the elders of the church. Today is a new beginning. Today is a day of new beginnings. And I'm so grateful for these young people who, who, who testified today in a public way. God changed my life. And I believe God wants to change other people's lives in this room today. In the 9 o'clock service, I was so excited. We had three people get baptized that have been saved in the last three weeks. Here at this church. God is doing something. These testimonies, God is doing something. I trust he's building your faith. If you need prayer, when, we, when I pray, you just come. And we're going to pray to heal. I got prayed for in the 9 o'clock. I'm getting prayed for in the 11 o'clock. Somebody get ready. Anoint me with oil because I'm, I'm, I'm not going to have this gout. I'm not going to have this bad knee. I don't just have this. I'm going to be healed from this. If not now in heaven, and I'm not going to own this. It's not mine. I believe Jesus wants to heal this lame guy. <laughs> Father, right now, in Jesus' name, we relate to this lame man. We've been lame in our thinking. We've been lame in our walking. Lord, we've been lame in our theology. Lord, we've been lame in more ways than one. But God, we thank you for the grace of God that heals lame men. We're done playing the blame game. We're done accommodating, Lord, our sickness. Lord, we're done with the superstitions. We're done playing the blame game. We're done with our sin. Bring healing to our bodies in Jesus' name, I pray, God, in the strong name of Jesus. And I pray that there would be men and women in this place today who would find new life, new life and new hope for healing because Jesus paid it all. He paid for it all on the cross. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Come and get prayed for. God bless you. Thank you for joining us in the Tiffany Fellowship Sermon Series. We truly hope that you were moved by the Word of God. It is our desire to see you built up in your faith, adding to the unity and strength of God's kingdom. You're invited to get connected at Tiffany Fellowship Church. If you're hearing the inspirational words of God for the first time, we would like to extend a helping hand in the decisions that are before you. So be encouraged to contact any of our staff members to meet and pray over the life-changing choices God has for you. As we close, our prayer is that the Lord will richly bless you, showing His kindness, compassion, and love to you. As well, if you are so moved, we would like to afford you the opportunity to give generously in support of this ministry and simply point to our available online giving opportunities. Be blessed in this day and be continually encouraged by God's Word.